Well, in the fall of 2013, so you got to go back a ways, uh, my family and I were living in Clayton, Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, just a, a small town. I think our neighborhood was just on the edge of some cornfields, and at that point, it was just corn as far as the eye could see. And uh, I was a little over a year into serving on staff at Clayton Christian Church as their family pastor. And that November, my oldest son, Micaiah, who's now 13, uh, he turned four years old. Now, we've never been a family that likes to throw big, extravagant birthday parties where we invite, you know, everybody under the sun. Uh, we, we do most everything together. We love spending time with our kids, and that includes celebrating birthdays. Now, whoever's birthday it is, um, they typically get to pick a restaurant to eat at. They pick the flavor of the cake. Typically, my wife makes that, and she does an amazing job. We really don't leave leftovers for the second day if, there's, if she makes a cake and it's chocolate. It's got my name all over it. And then, you know, our kids give us a few gift ideas, and we go out, and we, we have fun with, with the whole process. Well, on this particular birthday, um, we thought we'd break the mold a little bit, and we would invite a few extra friends from church. Now, the church we were serving at had about 275 active members, and there were several young families uh, that we'd built relationships with. Uh, Micaiah had a few friends from church that he wanted to invite as well. Now, Micaiah's birthday always falls on the week of Thanksgiving, so we had no idea how many people would come, if any at all, if we sent out an invitation. And I remember we ordered a cake for about 15 to 20 people. It's about the extras that we were planning on. Um, but then we had this moment of panic, realizing, well, what if we don't have enough food? What if there's not enough cake? What if more people show up than what we had planned for? I know you've been in this situation before. You've either made the meal or you've ordered the meal. You invite people over to the house, and then you have that moment of panic, right? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough to, to go around? Well, when we picked up the cake, uh, to our surprise, the bakery ended up making a cake for 50 people and not 15. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty wild. At first, I, I thought they'd brought out the wrong cake because this thing was massive. And we decided to keep a photo of this Guinness Book record-breaking size birthday cake um, just so that we could show all of you 10 years later. We kept it just for this moment. So I've got a photo we're going to throw up there. And uh, so that's four-year-old Micaiah. I think he kind of looks like Elliot a little bit, you know, and they have a lot of same features. But this cake, you know, wouldn't even fit in the photo, which I learned later, you know, don't take photos with the phone straight up and down. I mean, nobody likes that, right? The you got to get the horizontal photo, not the vertical photo. But um, what was great about this entire ordeal was that the bakery, they only charged us for a cake that would feed 15. You know, it got lost somewhere in translation. I wasn't prepared to pay for this thing, and I didn't argue with them about it. They just said, hey, it was probably our fault somewhere along the way. We'll charge you for, you know, a cake of 15. They said, but you got to figure out how to get this thing home. You know, we're not going to do that for you. And then you got to figure out what to do with the leftovers, right? Well, we ended up having more than enough to go around, and we were able to send some home with a few extra families, um, really out of the abundance. There, there was so much cake that day. Well, why do I tell you a story like this? How does this connect with anything that we're doing today? Well, in a much greater way, um, friends, we serve a God of abundance uh, who is consistently more than enough for every aspect of our lives. 
As we enter into the Easter season, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. God's Word teaches us so clearly that Jesus is more than enough when it comes to providing for our daily needs. That Jesus is more than enough when we experience the storms of life, when we go through those really rough and difficult seasons. God is more than enough. We learn that Jesus is more than enough as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, as our Messiah, our our Savior and Lord. And Jesus is more than enough in equipping his people to be kingdom workers for God. So as we begin a new series, I want to remind you about how Jesus is more than enough. I think that's such an important truth that we need to build our lives on this season. You know, over the past four and a half years, I've been asked this question on a few different occasions. Um, Craig, why do you preach three to four Christmas-themed messages around December? And why do you preach three to four Easter-themed messages around March and April? And my answer has always been twofold. Number one, I think it's important because I want our church to have good theology when it comes to the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life, ministry, and message of Jesus, and the resurrection, and what these truths mean for our lives today. I want us to have good theology. And number two, I think if ever there's a time when we're tempted to take individual stories and read them and learn from them for what they are, but apart from the greater story of God's word, I think it's the Christmas and Easter stories. So as we're reminded about how Jesus is more than enough for every aspect of our lives, my goal over these next few weeks will also be Um, to highlight and to show you how some of the the Easter themes, well, all of them, um, are themes that we see throughout God's Word, and these themes point us back to Jesus. I would say that all of God's Word, the Old Testament and the New, is about Jesus. Your Bible tells one complete story about Jesus. For this first message, We're going to go back just a day or two before the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We're going to look at the story of the Last Supper. This is the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested, tried, and then crucified on Good Friday. Now, most of us have probably heard of the four Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic Gospels. And then you have John, kind of stands alone, but is still considered one of the Gospels. Now, these are the first four books in the New Testament. All of these books teach us about the life, ministry, and message of Jesus. And what's unique about the Gospels is how much time is actually devoted to the last few days of Jesus' life, uh, much more so than the birth of Jesus. Each of these books spend a significant amount of time articulating the events leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the events themselves. All four gospel writers recognized that what happened between Thursday and Sunday is crucial for followers of Jesus. I would say that's another reason why it's important for us to spend some time relearning about some of these truths. For today's message, we're going to look at Matthew's account of the Last Supper. So we're going to be taking a short break from our our series in Luke. Um, Some of you may be excited about that, others maybe not, but we'll we'll come back to Luke um, when Easter is over. So 
All four gospel writers, they, they recognize the importance of these events. And we'll begin with Matthew's account. Uh, chapter 26 is where we read about the Last Supper. Uh, so you can turn there with me in your Bibles. And uh, the Last Supper, according to, to Matthew, begins in verse 17. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, um, this is what we read. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked this, this question. Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Now let's pause right there. Um, I think at first glance, this doesn't seem like much of a verse. We call this kind of a flyover verse or a Passover verse. You don't really spend much time you know, learning about verses like this when you're reading stories like this in its entirety. Um, but this is an important verse. It gives us a lot of insight into a theme that we see not only in the Easter story, but throughout the rest of God's word. In this verse, Matthew is telling us about how Jesus and his disciples were preparing to participate in a Jewish holy day. It's a holiday that you and I would refer to as Passover. Now, as Matthew describes this historical account, he draws our attention to something that we might normally skip over. You see, this isn't just a, a holiday celebrating the Passover. This is the holiday of the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Now, why, why is that important? See, bread is an important theme in the Easter story. And this is a theme that's also significant throughout God's word. In fact, first showing up all the way back in the Old Testament book of Exodus. I believe that God intentionally put this theme in strategic places for a specific purpose. Anytime we see this theme of bread show up, the the purpose was to give us a bigger picture of who God is, of his character and his his nature. We're going to learn about that today. So the Exodus is where the theme of bread first showed up. In the story of the Exodus, uh, you, you know it, God's people had been slaves under harsh Egyptian rule for generations. And the people, they cried out to God. They prayed for deliverance. And God ended up, after a very long time, he answered their prayers. He raised up one man by the name of Moses um, who became his voice to the Egyptian pharaoh. And you skip forward in the timeline a little bit, really in a display of his, his, his awesomeness and his provision, his, his character, his, his power, his authority. Um, after 10 plagues, the last of which involved the killing of uh, the firstborn sons from the livestock to the Pharaoh's son, we read about how Pharaoh finally recognized that Moses was right all along. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob The God of the Bible is bigger than any of the Egyptians' false gods. He's so big, in fact, that Pharaoh decided to do what Moses instructed him to do. And without thought, the Bible tells us, that Pharaoh told Moses to take his people and to leave in haste as quickly as they could. That word in haste means they had no time to pack. They had no time to prepare. They essentially had to grab what they could and leave. They would have left behind everything that their lives had amounted to. Following this one leader out from the only place they'd ever called home, even if it was a life of of slavery. Now the, the celebration of this event is called the Passover because God passed over the homes of the Hebrew people during the final plague, sparing their firstborn sons. Now it's also called the Festival of Unleavened Bread because it's a reminder of how quickly the people had to leave Egypt. There was no time to waste. There was no time to literally allow for bread to rise. 
This is a process that would have taken hours. So instead, they had to make flat bread or unleavened bread to take with them. They, they had to leave so quickly. That's all they could grab. So the exodus, this great escape from Egypt, was really just the beginning of this story. Now, it didn't take long for God's people, now free from Pharaoh and from their, uh, their hard work as, as slaves, to look back on their time in Egypt with, with fondness. And you might wonder, well, why in the world would they do that? They were free. They had literally prayed that God would deliver them, and, and now we read in Scripture that they're, they're complaining and they're, they're grumbling. In fact, wandering in the desert, that's exactly what they did. And they were doing so because they didn't have as much food to eat. They didn't have the kind of resources that they had back in Egypt. Even though God was providing it, just in their mind, it wasn't in the way that they thought. Now, I had a conversation this morning with one of our elders, um, Jack, and I asked him if he would come and share with you just briefly something that he shared with me this morning, because I think it connects so clearly to this. So as he's, as he's coming up here, I'll set the stage a little bit. Keep in mind that the, the Hebrew people, they had prayed for deliverance. They had prayed for God to show up and do something, and then... When God answered their prayers, they started to complain, they started to grumble. Well, I think we see this in our everyday lives. And Jack has a, has a great story a, a, of a partner that we have that he wants to share with you this morning. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Flood entered and destroyed her food in the house and killed three goats from us. The 
Same picture. There's these three brothers are plowing the field because now they have no cattle or no bull to do the job. See, this is at my mother's home. This is how my brother's cultivated. And his last message goes, we can't complain. God has a way. Because we prayed for rain for a long time. Amen. That's what we have. <laughs> You know, I hear a story like that, and I told Jack, I said, I think that relates exactly with what we're talking about, because here you have God's people subject to harsh Egyptian rule. They're, they're, for many of these generations, all they'd known is, is slavery, and they're praying that God would deliver, and God delivers, and then just a short time later, it just apparently wasn't in the way that they thought it should be, and they start grumbling and complaining against God because they didn't have the kind of food that they used to have. They didn't have the resources that they had. And, and I think a lot of times that, that happens in our lives. We pray about specific things, and God answers prayers in, in His way. God is more than enough. God provides. And then we grumble and complain because it's not exactly how we think that it should be. Well, God heard their complaining again heard their grumbling, and he decided to send them food from heaven this time. The Hebrew people saw this food, and they called it manna. That word manna literally means, what is it? <laughs> They'd never seen this stuff before, you know, and it was, it was brand new for them. This is exactly how my family felt when we moved from Oklahoma to Wisconsin. We saw Lefsa for the first time. We're like, what in the world is this? Why would you eat something like this? What is it, God? <laughs> The point of this illustration is simple. Even though this food wasn't familiar, the message that God was sending was so clear. Through, through his provision, God was saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I, I didn't lead you clear into the desert to leave you or to abandon you. I'm going to walk with you through it. I, I brought you here so that you might learn something new about me. You, you can... Count on me to provide for your daily needs. And this isn't the last time that you'll have to trust me, but it's the first time you'll have to depend on something so basic and, and so necessary for survival. I think what God was saying is that what you have to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is not beyond me. Your daily needs are not beyond me. I will provide. While this was a new idea for a group of people who didn't fully understand what it meant to trust in God's provision for, for every area of their lives, it wasn't the last time that God would work at getting their attention when it comes to trusting him in this way. If you fast forward a few thousand years, not, not long before the Last Supper, Jesus is seen teaching on a hillside, reminding his listeners about the stories of God's faithfulness that had been passed down for generations. And this is something that we need to do as parents and as grandparents. We need to share with the younger ears the stories of God's faithfulness. You know, long before I was here, God was working in this place. God was doing amazing things. And we need to share those stories. We need to be reminded about what God's done in the past. I think that helps us to trust Him for what lies ahead. Well, once again... As Jesus is, is teaching, um, we see the theme of bread clear and center. And Jesus is teaching his people how to pray. Uh, this is Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, this then is how you should pray. And Jesus taught the listeners. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily, and what's the word? Bread. You know, reading the different commentaries this past week, I learned that several commentators agree and they believe that Jesus was referring back to the time when God's people wandered in the desert after the Exodus when, when he was teaching this. A time when the main issue for the people was doubt over whether or not God would provide. When it comes to our, even our basic needs, Jesus teaches us to pray these words, give us today, give us this day our daily bread. No more, no less. God's people in Exodus, they were worried. Worried that their stomachs wouldn't be full. Worried that God wouldn't keep them alive. They, they worried that he wouldn't fulfill his promise of moving them into the promised land. Now this portion of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, I believe served as a reminder about how God had provided for the needs of his people in the past. How he promises to provide for the needs of his people in the present. And he'll continue to provide for the needs of his people in the future. Amen? It's an amazing promise. God provides. In John's gospel, we see another reference to bread. One that's not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Here, Jesus was trying to escape the crowds. They were pressing in on him on all sides. It was constant ministry. Jesus needed to get away sometimes, just to spend time with the Father, to spend time in prayer. A large group of people who had just witnessed Jesus multiplying the five loaves and the, and the two fish, they were pressing in on him. Now, we, we learn that their appetite was satisfied physically from this. They had their full. They, they ate until their heart was content. But spiritually, spiritually, they were just as hungry as the day before. And they were curious if this man, this Jesus, could do for them tomorrow what he had done for them the previous day. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus responds to the crowds. This is what he says. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So the context of this, not 24 hours earlier, this group of people had witnessed an amazing miracle. They had enjoyed an endless buffet. But this meal, as great as it was, it didn't satisfy for very long. You go eat at your favorite restaurant, it's a big deal, it's awesome. You know, take me to Outback Steakhouse, I'll clean them out. But the next day, I'm going to be hungry again. We understand, we know that bread, food has to be eaten physically to sustain life. It's no wonder that Jesus called himself the bread of life. He taught the crowds about how their spiritual hunger and thirst could only be sustained and satisfied through a right relationship with God. And just like bread must be eaten to sustain physical life. Jesus must be invited into our daily lives to sustain and satisfy our spiritual life. And I think sometimes, and this is something that you're going to have to answer for yourself, but I think sometimes we kind of treat God like a buffet. It's all you can eat on Sunday morning. You come and you get filled up. You hear the word. You, you worship and you, know, you feel a little bit better. And you go home throughout the week and you just you starve yourself. You don't eat anymore. You don't connect with God. Jesus has to be invited into our daily lives if we're going to experience that, that sustaining and that satisfaction that only he can provide. 
Now that leads us to the Last Supper. Coming full circle is the celebration of the festival of unleavened bread. As Jesus was anticipating what the near future would hold for him, as he participated in a holy day that I think contained so much more meaning than what the rest of the men around the table understood at the time, uh, the scene started to unfold. We jump back to Matthew 26. And we'll pick up in verse 26. It says that as they were eating, Jesus took some bread. Here it is again. It's this, this theme of bread, and he blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces. He gave it to his disciples saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And while the disciples may not have completely understood what the next few days would hold for Jesus or what it would hold for themselves, you can be sure that Jesus' words struck a chord with them that day. When it comes to the theme of bread, again, God's message is simple. It's, it's, it's clear, and I don't want you to leave today without understanding this, without knowing this. God is saying, I will provide. I will provide. Jesus was sharing in one of the most holy Jewish holidays, sharing a meal with his disciples, praying with them, serving them while washing the disciples' feet to show them that he is, in fact, the bread of life. Everything else is fleeting. Everything else is temporal. God provided bread for his people when they fled Egypt. They were wandering in the desert. He showed up and he provided for them. And through the theme of bread, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray by reminding them about God's faithfulness. Jesus provided for the physical needs of thousands of people by literally multiplying bread. He taught the people about how he is, in fact, the bread of life. Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was shed is our provision. As Jesus shared this meal with his disciples, he was reminding them about how God has always provided for their physical needs. God has always been there. God has always provided. But now, he's helping them see a greater need. He's helping them see something that is far more important. That what they really needed was something more than physical food. They needed Jesus. They, they needed his death. They needed him on the cross, bloody and bruised. At the cost of Jesus' life and ultimately in his resurrection, we are reminded today that God provides. The Last Supper is important not just because it was the last time that all the disciples were together before Jesus' death. That that's one reason, but that's not it. It's important because it was the culmination, friends, of a story that began long before the disciples even arrived on the scene. They were participating in the culmination of something very special. In a lot of ways, it's the resolution to several questions that had been lurking in the minds of every person from every generation. And it's questions that we still ask ourselves today, but we have the answers to. The question of, is God enough? Will God provide? Does God care about me? Does God love me? Friends, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we're, we're given the answer to these questions. Yes. Yes, God is enough. Yes, God will provide. Yes, God cares. We, we serve a God who knows our every need 
and who acts on, on our behalf for His glory and for the good of His people. The Last Supper is just one account that reminds us about this amazing truth. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is our daily bread. Jesus is our bread in all things. And if I could help you see that, then I'll feel like I've done my job today. That God is our bread in all things. This reminder that God is never too far away, never too busy to be concerned about the needs of his people. And the truth that the greatest need that we have is really not the physical things. The greatest need that we have is for Jesus to meet our spiritual need, to make right the broken relationship between God and humanity because of our sin. Today we can be reminded about a simple yet important truth. That God is faithful. That God will provide. And my my encouragement to you My plea with you today is is that you would trust Jesus with your life. You would allow him to satisfy a hunger and thirst that nothing else or no one else can truly satisfy. That you would give your life completely to him. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And this is the promise. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.